0: Hello and welcome to the A-Form show. My name is Alan George and thank you very much for tuning in. Each week, we sit across from thought leaders and change makers in the architecture and design space of the GCC. We dive deep into their experiences, both professionally and personally, and share their valuable insight as to what makes them tick. Our goal is to add value to your day and help you navigate your own personal creative journey. Finally, the opinions and the views of the guest speakers are that of their own. They do not necessarily represent the views and the opinions of the show or the host. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, we have someone truly special with us with over three decades of professional practice. Today, we are joined by Daryl Custer. He is the Managing Director of the Design Division at KEO International Consultants. With a vast portfolio of work across North America and Asia, Daryl brings a unique global insight to our GCC sector. We are truly excited to have him on the show today. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the show. So Dal, good morning. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Awesome. Well, I know that we're most likely going to be short on time because the minute I realized you were going to make it onto the show, I just had so many things I want to talk about. So I'm going to refine them as much as I can so that we can get the most out of our conversation today. Super. So obviously, the very first thing that strikes me is that I know we were talking about this off air as well that you kind of being truly an outsider perspective to this industry because you've been kind of all around. Ex- the GCC till recently, I would imagine. So I guess I want to start off with, for someone like yourself, what was the appeal about the GCC sector and specifically about the UAE from your eyes?
1: So thanks again for having me on the show. Um, You know, for me, you know, as an architect, I've over the years evolved more and more towards urban mixed use, which has also leaned more towards community and placemaking. So I try to always be involved in projects and focus on projects that are about community and building communities. And so in the Middle East, I think what I saw was um, enormous opportunities as we sort of transition. I think the whole planet is at a big transition point with, you know, technology, you know, issues with climate change, you know, all of the different confluences of, of trigger points, I think is bringing change. And I think in the Middle East, I saw a batch of challenges that maybe were new for me, probably the biggest one being the topic of mobility. So, uh, you know, what I've seen here, is that a lot of the communities here are based on a car. And, you know, obviously over the next 50 years, there's going to be a lot of transition around that, whether it's, you know, oil going to electric or robotic or even flying, you know, vehicles. I think it's going to bring tremendous evolution in how we design buildings and how we design communities and how these things are all interconnected. In my mind, I see tremendous challenges and also tremendous opportunities here in this region that, you know, maybe we're less so in, in, where I was at before. So, right. you know, for me, it's um, it's a good time to be here because we're, you know, at the beginning stages of it. So I am, I'm, I'm, right. you know, looking forward to it. You know. Okay.
0: So do you think, is that the kind of sentiment for the overall sector? Because that would also lump in, I guess, all of MENA. So even Egypt, Saudi, UAE, is that the kind of sentiment you're seeing all across?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think in the end, you know, the model for what an urban context is, um, is is somewhat similar across the board. People when you think of a city, most people have a certain idea in their mind and right. I guess what I'm saying is that that model may change very quickly and look something more like, you know, what you see in futuristic movies. Which and I don't want to sort of get off topic here, but, oh, no, but you know, to simple. me what I think of, you know, when I when I talk to developers here and 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 people here is that you've got a lot of the design and development culture here is based on single use projects. So it's a a, it's a residential building or it's a shopping mall or it's an office tower or it's a hospital or it's this or it's that. And I think personally, where we're headed, one, because of technology and mobility and the things I was talking about earlier, and two, because of how people are living now on the, on the tail end of COVID, well, I hope tail end of COVID and lifestyle changes, I think we're migrating to a, a true mixed use model where right. what we're going to start seeing or what I think a good solution or a good model going forward is vertically stacked. Integrated projects where it's more all in one, things are interconnected. You know, maybe there's smaller pieces of more components. You know, right. so you may have projects where it's got a you know a mixture of. Well, I'll go back. So in the old days, in the '90s and even 20 years ago, a mixed use project generally had two or three uses. Anything more than one was considered mixed use. Right. Then you got into these sort of four mixed uses, and now you know starting to see projects where you might have five types of uses. You might have residential, retail, office healthcare, leisure, you know, it, it, and, and so they're, they're getting more complex and more integrated and more dense which I right. think is really cool. And then, you know, and that's so project to project and then how those projects connect, right. I think is going to get more complex. So, if, if in the current model, the ground plane is the end all to be all. So, most people, everybody arrives on grade on right. a car or a bus or whatever that mode of transportation is. You know, in the future, we may see more three-dimensional stacking. You know, you might see more either underground. So, you know, two or you may see aerial, you know. So, so, right. I think it, it brings a really interesting level of complexity and it also changes how these projects are designed. So, you know, one of the limitations to mixed use or any project right now is the arrival sequence and how you get in and out. Right. Well, if you can open the door to say having your hotel lobby on the 10th floor and not having to go in on the ground floor and go up to it, you arrive directly up there via SkyCab or SkyBus or right. aerial drone or whatever that is to right. get you there. Imagine how that changes how that project's designed and what right. it'll look like and what the experience is and everything else. You know, right. I've always, for years, we've always said, you know, the roof is the fifth facade. Well, right. it really becomes more than just, you know, where you put your mechanical units. It's right. it's something you see because you're coming in from above. So, you know, to me, I, I think those are all things that are um, coming. And um, I, I do think to answer your question, I think it is across the board, whether you're in Egypt or, or here in Dubai or say in, in you know, in, in Riyadh, God. Um, right. So yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. Okay.
0: It then sort of uh, because at the moment, I think I have my architect hat on. So I think the more... I mean, A, I completely agree. I do think that that's where our field is going. And we are going to have to challenge a lot of norms, which we maybe didn't before. One of the conversations we had in uh, in the podcast with one of our earlier guests was, what if, you know, eventually the car goes away? What do we do with all the sort of car parking podiums at the bottom of these skyscrapers if no one's going to have cars anymore? Can developers... Now have DCRs which envision that these may need to be car parking now but can be modeled or remodeled into something else maybe a decade or two later. Things like arrival at the rooftop as compared to arrival on the ground floor or arrival maybe 15 floors into a basement level because that's where you have your transit route for example. They're all kind of conversations which it's good to see that designers are having at the moment but my question to that always is that obviously an architect's role is fairly generic but then also has its own sort of specifics. But when you start thinking about integrating so many other sort of disciplines into the field of architecture, for example, the kind of projects that we're talking about at the moment obviously require high levels of engineering specifics, infrastructure, even technology, AI, and so on and so forth. So I guess my question is, as an architect, do we need to know all of that? Or do we need to know how to collaborate with other people who know more? What, in your opinion, would be the best way forward?
1: Well, I think certainly collaborations important. I, I don't think, you know, the more complex the world gets, the more it requires everybody to have an open mind and be able to work, um, you know, for a common good. But, you know, it's interesting for me, uh, you know, the question about coming to this region uh, had a lot to do with where I came to. So, KEO, one of the reasons I joined KEO is because the design division that I'm working with now has multidisciplinary. So, we have structural, we have MEP, we have all of those. And the idea is to really build a team that can cover a lot of these things in-house, but then also work with, you know, other consultants who, who bring talent to the table. So, I think that's one of the things I'm excited about is, is, is sort of looking at it in more holistic terms. But right. I do agree with what you're saying. And, you know, to me, the most simplest analogy is I personally believe that buildings of the future are going to look more like a Tesla car than a static building. And I don't mean architectural. I'm not right. talking about the aesthetic right. of it. I'm saying how they function and You know, the best example, you know, as you say, you know, art imitates life or or vice versa. You know, if I look at, say, Blade Runner 2049, it's a really good example of... And I'm not talking about the dystopian part of it. But if you look at the scenes where he's in his apartment and the main character comes in and he's got an avatar speaking to him that's connected to the apartment and and she knows what kind of food he likes, what what kind of, you know, light levels, air conditioning, temperature, all of that, I think, is sort of an interconnected live building that's connected to the humans who use it and i think that's you know where things are headed and so but to pull that off to your point it requires you know an architect being able to talk to a futurist who's able to talk to an electrical engineer who can communicate with a mechanical engineer and a structural and you know on and on it goes it, it really is is going to require teams that can really think through these things and also adapt for what's next after that which right. might be you know robotics where you know you'll have buildings that can evolve and change, um, you know, or or (laughs) movable. I mean, I I generally think, you know, if the the sort of current model is a building that's fairly static, you know, you design it, it's got columns, it's got floor slabs, it's got windows, it's got all of these things that are fairly static in the future. These are going to be live connected, you know, and (laughs) movable.
0: Alright, and we're back. Uh We're not going to edit this out. So uh for everyone wondering, yes, I was a fire alarm. We are all safe. Daryl, I and Jasa made it out all good. <laughs> uh Much love to DCD for keeping us on our toes, I must say. So swiftly moving back to our conversation, Daryl. I know we kind of digressed a bit. And we mm-hmm. might have to come back on track but uh, we were talking about how architects need to sort of work collaboratively with other specialists. Like mm-hmm. you said, you know, an architect be able to talk to a futurist, be able to talk to, you know, someone else in innovation and so on. Whilst that is good for designers, I kind of want to get your insight as to what developers think of this. When you as an architect go into a meeting and you pitch, these are the ideas that we want to do. This is the team we want to work with. What's their kind of reaction? Are they on board? Are they sold? Are they nervous? What's the Kind of feedback.
1: What? It's a it's kind of a mixed a mixture, uh, and I think a lot of it depends on you know the project at hand or or what their their business goals are for the for the project that we're working on with you know so it's it's not so much a developer point of view as much as it is about what the what the goal is for the project and you know for me I've always felt like you know architects are problem solvers it's, I know in the end it's about pure building design but really it's about solving problems or at least for good architects and so if you can have the conversation about okay well what's, What's the issue? What's the problem? How do we come up with ideas to solve those problems? So to your earlier point about, you know, parking, and if if we're building parking structures that are designed for people to come and park their car every day and, and then work and then leave, and maybe there's no demand for that in the future, you know, one idea to sort of backfill in there is data storage, uh, you know, urban farming, you know, there's no reason you couldn't take, a, say, a, a a parking deck that's five levels above grade or below. And convert that into an urban farm. We have the technology now. It's just, it's, I think it's more of an economic issue. And so it's really, to me, as a designer and architect, it's about having those kinds of conversations. And then the architectural solutions are derivative of that. It's like, well, what, how do we work together and how do we help you figure out what is a a workable model as we move forward? And in some cases, it's, it's a, you know, built in flexibility. In some cases, it's about, you know, transition. And in some cases, it's about, you know, well, what's that next big idea? idea. But I think it's different to answer your question right. with each project. You okay. Know?
0: okay, I think the overall conversation about the GCC is that we're in this, like you said, pivotal position where, you know, things are kind of ripe for this kind of change to happen. The GCC sector, obviously, in comparison to other market sectors is a fairly young sector. I'm curious then to know from you, because you've obviously seen markets which are a lot more mature, have developed a lot more organically, a lot more longer even. Do you see any sort of parallels between how markets have developed, between how the GCC could be going as compared to, say, somewhere else?
1: Yeah. You know, in my mind, you know, so the the more developed... Longer term uh, markets, it's about return on investment, you know, because most of the most of the players in the game, it's about just, you know, getting that next project up and running. And I work almost entirely in the private sector. So it's, almost you know, most of my clients are developers. It's it's about commercial development um, and it's about return in Asia and say in some of the other markets that I've been in, it's that plus the look at me kind of architecture, you know, it's it's about making that big statement. And I think here in the Middle East, it's it's sort of all of that, but more pronounced. So in some markets, it's very much about precedence and just getting that return. But I, one of the things I'm really interested in here is this idea about, you know, the look at me architecture and, you know, wanting to make a statement, right. which I think is a bit scary and kinds. you know, it can be a bit gitchy if, if you let it be, but it, it also opens the door to, to being able to try new things. So I think, right. you know, when you look at some of the, the, the most interesting projects in the world now are, are here because of this desire to sort of do something new and different. And I, to me, I think um, that's what I think makes this part of the world special. And that right. and it, uh, it brings opportunities. I mean, I look at, you know, the new museum of the future and, you know, there, there's not a lot of places that a building like that could be built um, for a number of reasons. And so as a piece of architecture and as a piece of art, I, I appreciate that for what it means in the, in the industry, you know? Right. And know. Uh, so to me, that's pretty interesting, you know, that balance of sort of, you know, precedence and, and doing sort of rational, I would say, projects um, right. combined with the ability to maybe throw out some new ideas is, right. is kind of a neat mixture, I think.
0: Okay. Just to be devil's advocate, don't you think the kind of look at me architecture, obviously, I'm assuming that any developer who has any project probably wants that kind of statement. Do you think that is probably not a good thing? And maybe there should be quote unquote back Crown buildings for the look at me buildings. So if everyone kind of wants to go down the route of, you know, oh, we want to be iconic. We want, you know, the look at me feel. Isn't that a bad thing in the long term?
1: I, I think it's only a bad thing if that's all you're building and getting. I think like everything in life, balance is what brings a healthy environment. So I right. think as long as it's, it's, you know, and if you look at a photograph of the museum in the future, you'll see a bunch of more rational, you know, prototypical buildings behind it. So I right. think as long as you know, we've got a balanced situation going on, then then it's fine. I, I think it's a good thing because, you know, a little bit of, to me, it's like, does it get people thinking and talking? And I, and right. I think as long as, you know, that's what we're doing, then, you know, so right. be it. I've also seen other buildings around the world. Well, look at like say the Bilbao, the, the Guggenheim and, or the, the museum in, in, in yeah. Spain, you know, whether you like it or not, the idea that it's there, I think is a good thing because it gets a conversation going and it, it really put that city... Back on the map from a global perspective. And so I, and I'm not speaking to the, the architectural design, but what it means for the industry um, and, and, You know, it's like fine art in a way, you know, I think as long as it gets people talking and if it serves a purpose, then it's a good thing.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Speaking of getting people talking and thinking, (laughs) a topic of discussion, which is quite prevalent now in the industry is the whole sort of next decade or two with the 2040 master plan for Dubai and essentially feeding into the entire country. As I'm sure you're aware that that master plan promises a lot and is kind of in line with the Kind of vision that you and i are talking about as well right now that's the kind of direction that that plan is going down as well i would i i would want to hear from someone like yourself because you obviously see a very big picture when it comes to you know urban design and planning and so on what are your thoughts on the 2040 master plan
1: it's very ambitious and i would expect nothing, nothing less else. you know <laughs> but uh- you know, to me, I think it's it's all good, especially when you look at the, you know, the, the top line goals and, and the objectives. I, I agree with all of them. I guess what I what I would be cautious about is when you start to see the renderings and you start to see the videos and the illustrations where everything's green in this lush green landscape, which I think may pose some challenges if um, for no other reason than water, right? Water is the biggest issue um, about living and in, in, in building here. And so I think trying to balance those goals Against the reality of the resources that we have on hand is going to be the biggest challenge with that with that vision. Now, the other thing I would say is, you know, as a as an urbanist and as somebody who's really interested in community placemaking, you know, again, I, I agree with the overall vision. But to sort of, you know, to script out five distinct districts is is a good thing. But I would, if it were me, I'd say, well, let's focus on two or three, make those really good, and then let those let those areas radiate out from from them and connect up. And so maybe in the end, what you have are these pods where you've got these livable communities that are connected with high-speed rail or connected through other means with, you know, desert in between as one way of looking at it um, as a logical growth path. But, you know, I think a lot of it is, you know, you've got to sort of start with the next five years and go from there. So right. so breaking those milestones down into shorter increments might might also be a good thing. Right. Um, You know, I've always felt like really good urban livable communities, um, really from a planning perspective, it's like the pond in the water where it hits and the waves go out. It's kind of like that. So, if you say, let's let's pick three urban hubs that we already have, make those really work and then let them radiate out and then connect to create a sort of megalopolis, I think would be a... is probably a more rational approach than just saying we're going to make everything green and it's going to be perfect um, in my view. Right. Interesting.
0: I think if I would... to sort of take the same uh, same pond analogy, I think that's kind of how Saudis approaching their development in the sense that, except their sort of interventions are at at a city scale, mm-hmm. not really just a project. I mean, they're literal cities that are coming up. But I think if I were to look at this sort of development with you know the Red Sea and then you have Alula and all of that, I feel like that. Kind of, they kind of have the same approach, wherein they want these kind of hubs, these nodes, and then have them sort of organically grow out to each other. Do you think the same?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they have a plan, which is good. Right, that's the first step. I think what, what you know, when I go over there, um, and and you start talking to all these Giga developers, and you start seeing the the portfolio of projects that are on the horizon, it's hard to imagine that all of all of that's gonna get built. I think from the human side, um, you know, the consultant industry is rallying around it. And, you know, you're going to see lots and lots of people moving there. It's it's in place right now. People are already moving there. So I think, you know, the ability to draw, design, you know, engineer, all of these things is realistic. I think where the challenge comes in is supporting it with actual resources, physical resources. There's only so much concrete in the world. There's only so much steel in the world. There's only so, you know, and so how you support, if you look at, If you map out all of the plans in the kingdom and then you map that against the amount of physical resources that are available in the GCC, it's it's hard to imagine all of those things happening. Now, right. that, that doesn't mean that most of it won't. I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm sure somebody's looking at this um, and doing the math. But I, I guess what I'm saying is hopefully they're prioritizing it and putting it in a way that balances these new communities and the look-at-me architecture with what these communities need. So housing right. for people, and, and, and they are, in fairness. I mean, I think there are developers there that are building massive amounts of housing for the people that live there. And that that's going to be critically important is not just putting the these, you know, projects like NEOM on the map so that everybody in the world's looking at it, but balancing that with making sure that the people who are there are getting what they need to support, you know, a sustainable, healthy right. lifestyle. So, you're lifting the entire country up, right. you know, I right. think that's what's going to be critically important. And some so. community, you know, I've seen this in other, in, in my past in Asia in different parts where I was, it, you don't always see that, you know, sometimes you see these brand new glitzy developments and then you realize it's for people coming in you know, and so my my hope is in the kingdom that it is balanced and I think it is. I think their plan includes a lot of that.
0: Right. Interesting because um, yeah, I think the Saudi population, Saudi nationals, again, in my mind because I've, I've only ever, you know, visited ever so frequently infrequently and you kind of just hear about, you know, citizens and nationals over there and so one of the kind of lifestyle that they have and for the longest time prior to this sort of, you know, boom from MBS, it was always that, you know, Saudis would come to, you know, the US, Dubai specifically, to visit for Eid and things like that. Although over the last few years, I've sort of seen this reverse migration happen, wherein people from the UAE are now going to you know places like Riyadh and so on, which is really interesting. And I think that gives a lot of opportunity. Number one, and yeah, I think I think if they are going to do it the way that you're saying, sounds pretty pretty promising. It's very very hopeful yeah. along the horizon. I kind of maybe want to switch gears a bit. I feel that like it would be very imperative for our audience who are predominantly sort of young professionals mid-level professionals to hear from someone like yourself about your career it's um i don't want to give too much away and i kind of want you to give us a brief snapshot if you can and kind of conclude it with piece of advice that you can give someone who's young mid-level looking to build a career out of this field not just kind of make this a job mm-hmm. if you may.
1: well for starters i i feel like i've been very lucky I mean, I've, I've been lucky in the sense that I've always had access to just super talented, brilliant minds and, and great clients. And, you know, and, um, and I've always tried to learn as much as I could from, from the people that I've worked with, um, above and below, honestly. Um, that being said, um, you know, the two key things I always say is, you know, try to figure out what you're good at and then try to figure out what you enjoy. And in most cases, if, if you can match those two things, then everything else will work itself out. And it's, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Ikigai and, you know, I'm not a Japanese philosopher <laughs> or anything like that, but there are these, there's this fundamental lifestyle that's based on, um, you know, ikigai. That's that's all about that. It's like doing what you enjoy and doing what you're good at, and then letting and 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 with within that finding purpose, and then within that purpose, everything else falls in line. And so, I think in terms of career growth, when I talk to staff and, and people that I work with, you know, it's interesting to me that you know when in our early days, um, you know, the educational system, at least in America, which is where I, m- my education was based on a U.S. program, you know, high school is four years, college when I was and getting my Bachelor of Architecture was five years. And I think that's pretty consistent across the world. Most people work in these sort of four to five-year increments and then you graduate and even postgraduate, it goes in like four-year chunks. For most people, they graduate and they go off with their life and it's like, okay, well, now I'm going to do this for 40 years. And so I always kind of question that and so, say, well, what I try to do when I work with people is to view their career in four-year increments, you know, so say, all right, maybe you have an idea of where things will be 30 years from now, but don't worry. About that, just focus on the next four years. Okay, what are you doing now, and what do you think you might enjoy doing four years from now, or how does what you're doing, you know, what's it going to look like in four years? And you know, within that, who are the people that are doing the things that you might want to be doing? And a lot of it really is about this idea of mentorship and, and mentoring and being mentored and mentoring others and paying it forward. That whole philosophy sort of it requires people to sort of be cognizant of these core things that I'm talking about. You know, so if you if you have an idea of Where you want to be in four years, and you have an idea of the three or four people that are doing that, and you can start a conversation with them. Chances are you'll get there without even knowing it, you know. And 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 the other thing I would say is, after you get in, you know, say ten years into your career, I always encourage people to pay it backwards the other way. You know, you gotta if you're not working with people and helping them, then you're sort of you're helping yourself by doing that, but you're also can you know you're continuing the chain, so to speak. That's kind of my philosophy. I have charts and graphs that show all these things too. I I used to do, um, you know, with a, a lot of training in, in my current firm and, you know, we do it at KEO. We have a mentorship program that we're, we're doing. And in my previous firms, you know, I, I would make this chart that showed, you know, sort of core skills. So, you know, is it design focused? Do you want to get involved in management? Do you want to get involved in marketing? Do you want to be, you know, technically oriented? Do you want to be the best spec writer? You know, what are those core, Things and you know we all when you come out of school there's there's sort of a, a base of right. information you should have as an architect and what I've always said is if you if you look at it from a pyramid point of view from a good to great mentality so say I'm okay I'm really good at these ten things but I want to be great at this one thing right. how are you going to get there well if you say well that's the the end all the be all you're probably you're going to struggle but if you can sort of back it down and say okay in four years maybe these are the five or six things I'm going to focus on and in four years. After that, it's three things, and then four years after that, it's two things, and then right. and so on and so forth. And and you know, you're you're essentially you're trying to become an expert at something. So right. this earlier conversation about collaborating and working together, well, that requires expertise. And so if if you take at the top line, so the best project delivery you could ever have, say, would be an expert in it. You know, if you look at like NASA or you look at a spaceship, right? That's how they yeah when they select a crew, right. It's like well we have these 12 core needs. Right. So we want the very best person in this field, this field, da, 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 right. that's the team. So to me, I, I view sort of architecture in a similar way. It's kind of like you want to you build expertise in that can work together. As a
0: kind of uh, final question to the episode, this is kind of a question which is open-ended. You don't have to answer it. You can take your time and respond to it. But it's kind of just to see where your sort of design thinking is heading towards. So the question on the show is, uh, we we refer to it as the utopian question, and by definition, is a utopia. This is a client that comes to you and says, Hey, Daryl, completely believe in you and your team. Here's pretty much a blank check with a plot that I want to develop. The only constraint to this project being whatever you want to build and design in this plot needs to give back to the community, in whichever sense you want to take that. So it can be. Quite literally, you know, generating electricity, feeding back to the grid. It can be more philosophical in many other senses. So if you were to get this utopian client to show up, what are you building?
1: I would build a a very large, vertically stacked, mixed-use community um, that was, you know, preferably net zero, but had enough that the people there could live a healthy life. So urban farming, you know... Lifestyle amenities, food and beverage, entertainment, um, flexible work environment, um, healthcare amenities. So basically an all in one mixed use community that, that also was flexible long term and, you know, had eventually had capabilities of integrating AI and, uh, and other, you know, future technologies. But I think the biggest thing would be, you know, trying to get a project that could be net zero, that truly could not contribute to um, some of the negative effects that we've seen from the built environment. Right. The, what I would really hope to do for something like that.
0: <laughs> no, that sounds that sounds like a place I would want to live for sure, and is uh, is definitely very consistent with you know our entire podcast. I would say so far yeah. that's the kind of language that we're talking about, and uh, it's I really do think like we're going to see a lot more of those kind of projects being attempted yeah. very soon. Uh, they may not be successful on their first go, but I feel like there's definitely going to be multiple attempts at getting that sort of model done correctly. Yeah, and yeah, that's very cool. So daryl on that note on behalf of the show i wanted to thank you for giving us your time i'll be the first one to admit this was a very challenging episode for multiple reasons but thank you for giving us your time and powering through it means a lot to us yeah yeah thank you it's good appreciate it awesome and for the rest of you guys we will catch you guys next week fellow aformers thank you guys for listening Thank you guys for being part of our journey and thank you for the immense support we've been receiving for our episodes. It has and continues to be a very bumpy road, but we wouldn't want it any other way. If you enjoyed this episode and it bought you value, please share this episode with anyone who may benefit from it. But of course, if you loved the episode, follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn, send us a little DM, and we may just send you a secret link to a secret episode which we've been working on. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. See you next time. Keep sketching.